Well, our scripture today is taken from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. It's a pretty well-known story in its various incarnations in the Gospel. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Well, it's interesting. You know, we like to think that we're obedient to God. I mean, if we more or less say to folks, um, you know, are, are you obedient to God? You usually get an answer of, yeah, most of the time. You know, I, I try. I think I'm more obedient than disobedient. I mean, you know, we're not going to have a show of hands, but who killed anyone on their way to church today? Nobody? Okay, probably not. Okay. Hope you didn't stop to shoplift or something like that on the way. Okay, good. You know, I, ho I hope not. Um, so, so we hope that you're pretty much obedient. We tend to, to think that, um, that we're doing okay in that regard. But then this, this passage kind of hits us in the face the way it hit the rich man in the face. The rich man comes to Jesus, and he's kind of coming in a spirit of optimism because you know, he, he believes he's been keeping all these commandments. And he says, you know, you know Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and you kind of get the sense, I think, that he's thinking Jesus is going to say, yeah, you've done it all. You've been keeping the commandments. You know, you've, been doing, you've been doing a pretty good job. All right? And he has followed the law. But one of the things that we don't understand uh, is that it's not just about avoiding transgression. Okay? It, it's, it's not about that. Like when you hear that phrase in the, in the commandments, honor your mother and father, all right? that's a little different than just avoiding transgression. Okay, when you hear uh, other things about do not steal, when you in, you know it, it's or do not murder, it's not enough to not, to just not kill someone. It's important to be life giving to other people. 
You know, it's important to, to be that. So it's important to do more. So it's not about avoiding transgression. It's about doing what we need to do. And then Jesus gives the, the rich man the command that he isn't ready to hear. It says, you know, go, sell what you own. Give the money to the poor. I mean, this was more than he expected to be asked. And this was something Jesus did pretty often to everybody. Okay, so people would come and they would say, what do I need to do? And Jesus would give them something, you know, whether it was the people wanting to follow and saying, oh, before I come follow you, I need to go say goodbye to, to my friends or I need to go tend to my fields. And Jesus would say, no, 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 can't do that. Got to come, got to come right away. All right, so in different ways, he would lay out a path of discipleship that was broader and greater than what the people expected. In this case, the, the, the gentleman comes and says, what must I do? And Jesus says, well, you need to sell everything. This is what you need to do. It's not, not enough that you didn't steal. You need to, to sell everything. And the person says, well, you know, it's too much. I, I, can't, I can't do that. You've asked for more than I am able to do. And this is a question that we face in our own lives of not whether we could do this particular thing. See, the question isn't to read this passage and say, okay, if Jesus asked me to sell everything I own, and, and let's face it, for the vast majority of us, the answer would be uh, no thank you. Okay? But even if you could say yes to that one particular request, all right. The, the question that this passage really raises is whether there is anything that we would say no to God about. And, and if there is, if there's anything, then we need to understand that's rebellion. Rebellion against God, it, it means knowing that there's something God could ask of us and we would say no. If there was anything where God said, I need you to do this, and he said, no, 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 I, I can't go that far. There is the idea of a bridge too far. To that extent, there is the seed of rebellion against God in our lives. Because rebellion doesn't necessarily just mean overthrow, it just means, no, I won't. Re rebellion is someone who has the authority to say something to you and say, no, I won't. Your boss says, I'd like you to have this report ready tomorrow, and you say, no, I won't. Okay? That, that's, that's rebellion. And so rebellion, the seed of rebellion against God is when we sit there and say, okay, God, I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to try and do what you want. But there is a limit. There is a point at which I'm not going to go any further. And if you have that in your lives, then you actually are in this state of rebellion against God. And so we understand that that's really there for all of us. And that really is what sin is. I mean, we talk about sin as if it's an act, as if it's this discrete thing, as if I do this. But sin is not just an act. Sin is a state. It's a state of being. It's a state of brokenness. It's a state of our unwillingness to do absolutely everything that God would ask us to do, trusting that anything that God would ask us to do it serves the greater good. Okay? That's where the trust comes in. See, when you say no, then you're saying either the cost is too great for me or I don't understand that this is really something good. And we need to understand that if God is asking, it must be good by definition. If God is asking, it must serve the larger purposes of the universe 
or God wouldn't ask. And so somewhere in there is either too great a sacrifice for us, or it's too great a fear for us, I fear what that might mean, or it's I don't really trust God fully that, that what God would ask of me is there. Now the one seed of doubt that ought to be there is, am I actually hearing God correctly? Right? That's, that's a separate question and a different question. Okay, you know, because it is so easy for us to fool ourselves into believing that what God wants for our lives is what we want for our lives. I mean, somehow it's magical. So often in my life, I think I hear God telling me to do what I want to do. So, so we have to have that level of discernment. The level of doubt there is about us. It's not doubt about God. It's about, are we hearing correctly? Are we layering the voice of God inside us with our own wants and our own desires? That's a legitimate question to ask before we do something crazy. But if we really are convinced it's God, do we have the trust to go all the way? And the answer is going to be that for certain things, it's going to be no. You know, there was no mistaking. The rich, the rich man, there was no mistaking. Jesus is right there and says, here's what you have to do. All right? It, it, you know, he had the advantage of hearing it straight from Jesus' mouth, which is not something we ordinarily, you know, will have the advantage of. So we have to, to think about that and deal with that and then understand that because there is that limit... We need the Savior. We need Jesus to save us because there is this limit. We need Jesus to fill that gap that somewhere there is a line of obedience that we have and we will push ourselves out to that line. We won't go any further. And, and then the gap between that line and God is why we need a Savior. Now, the disciples were, were learning. The disciples didn't really quite understand this. And so the disciples were confused, and they were um, asking Jesus, how can this be? This doesn't really make a lot, of, a lot of sense to us. And it didn't make a lot of sense to them because the rich person, as far as they were concerned, must already be in good with God because God has blessed the person with wealth. You know, I mean, the average person, especially in that time, I mean, you're talking about the average person is worried about whether they're going to have food to eat. The average person, you know, they are, they are not living in a middle-class world of hopefully having some savings or having some food in a refrigerator that preserves food. You know, they're literally living day-to-day, hand-to-mouth, and the rich person does not have to live that way. And so they're looking at this and saying, wow, that's, that's amazing. How can, how can this person not be in good with God? Look at what God is bestowing upon this person. So when Jesus says, no, look, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. We're like, that's the genesis of the question. Then who can be saved? If the people who it appears to us are already being blessed so abundantly by God can't get in, then who is? You see, they didn't really understand a pretty basic principle that wealth doesn't mean you're good with God. It means you're good with money. You know, pretty much. You know, money likes you, it follows you around, it stays in your pocket, you know. It doesn't mean you're good with God, it just means you're good with money. 
they were conflating the two. They were confusing the two. And so, they, so when Jesus says this about the rich man, they're like, who can be saved? And that's where God gives, that's where Jesus gives the lesson that is the first point of this story, which is, wait a second, for God, all things are possible. It wasn't a message of hopelessness. It wasn't a message of, well, no one can obey adequately and therefore we're in trouble. It was, no, don't worry, there's this gap. And that gap is there for everyone. And God can close this gap. You can't do it. For mortals, it's impossible. But for God, all things are possible. God can close the gap. And as Jesus' story plays out for the disciples, he continues to expound upon this and teach them that, in fact, he is there in order to be able to close that gap. Now, this is Christianity 101. All right, this is the basics of the Christian faith. This is the basic point of this story, that you can't earn your way to heaven, and Jesus is who you need to close the gap between what you do and what it takes to be able to enter the kingdom. But it would be wrong to let the story end on that note. To simply say, okay, fine. The rich person asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is, you can't inherit eternal life. You have to rely on Jesus. Great. Let's close in prayer. Everyone go home. That's one way to deal with the story. The problem that I have with that is that it forgets an aspect of the person's question. It dismisses it completely. It takes the rich man's question and says, oh no, we're just, we can just ignore this question because we understand that we need Jesus. And we do. But we also need the first part of his question. Let's not throw out the very basic part of his question. Because I think what makes his question bad was the end of the question. The first part of the question is the one we should be asking all the time. We should be asking the question, says, good teacher, what must I do? Not what must I do to inherit eternal life. It's like, what must I do because I want this? So what do I have to do? I want that item. What's the price I have to pay for that item? Okay? The last part of his question makes the question less good, makes the question less valuable. Let's not throw out the whole question just because at the end there's this tag and the answer to the tag to inherit eternal life is no, there's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. It is a gift from God that is bestowed. But let's keep that first part of the question. Good teacher, what must I do? What should I do? How can I do that which God wants to do? How can I be less satisfied with just doing the minimum and call myself to get closer to perfect? No one's going to get there. But wouldn't you like to be closer than further away? always said, and this is, I think, a way we ought to live. I, I, I am so grateful. I mean, the foundation of my life is the fact that Jesus died so that I can be forgiven for my sins. 
but I still would like Jesus to have to forgive fewer of them, okay? You know, it would be nice if somehow along the way there's a little less on the list. Don't add to the list. So how can we do more for God? See, there was the point in this question, right? What puts the person over the top is sell all that you own. And you sit there and think, you know, all right, Jesus knew all was going to be too much for him. You start to think, you know, remember he asked, you know, with, uh, he didn't ask, but Zacchaeus offers to sell half. You kind of wonder, what would he have said at half? 75%, 82.7%. You know, where's, where's the negotiating point in here? where maybe he could have gone. Because what happens in the story is he's all or nothing, right? Jesus says, sell all that you own. And what does he do? He walks away. In real practical life, what we don't want is for you to view obedience to God as all or nothing in that way. We don't want you to say, okay, I can't live perfectly. I can't do everything God wants, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk away. I'm going to do nothing. No, as a practical matter in our lives, the answer is, what can I do that is more? But when we talk about doing more for God, one of the things that I find um, most people go to is to take the things that they're already doing and then try to simply increase the volume of that. And I'm not sure that's the way we should think about it. Okay? So people sit there and say, okay, I'm giving how much money, I'll give more. Okay, I'm giving how much time toward this thing, I'll give more. All right? And maybe I think that the way we need to think about doing more for God and getting closer to what God wants is to think less about doing more of the same thing, but saying yes to something new instead. So that God's guiding, God's leading in our lives is increasing in breadth. So that it's not just doing what we're already doing for God and doing more of it in that direction, but rather having God touch more of our life in terms of the breadth of our life. Because okay? there was one little interesting thing in the passage, and I, I didn't make a slide for it, but there's a little interesting thing. When Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. You know, do not kill, do not steal, etc. There was one little word in there that was kind of interesting. It was, do not defraud. And if you think about it, I go, wait a second. I seem to remember in church school, you know, love the Lord your God, do not steal, you know, do not, do not kill, do not cut. Where was defraud? They already said steal. All right, where, where was defraud in there? Where's that coming from? And the thing about it is that that word literally, defraud, literally is not there in, in the commandments. And so there's, to, to me, there's a little bit of a hint that, wait a second, let's not be so strictly, narrowly literal, but rather think about what's more, what's beyond, all right? When, when the commandments say to do certain things, you know, what do we need to do a little more? 
how do we expand upon what God orders us to do and do more of that? And I think a piece of that is to have God touch more of our lives. That instead of just saying, I'm going to do what I have been doing in the direction of God and have other things that you know, maybe don't feel as much, what if I, I try to have God touch the different parts of my life more completely? That it's not so much a matter of magnitude, but a matter of completeness in what we bring to God. Because it is so easy for us to have things like, well, I have my church life, but I have my work life, and keep those kinds of, kinds of things separated. What would it mean to sit there and say, no, 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 I want God in more of my life. I, want, I, I don't want just God on Sunday morning. I want God infusing seven days a week. I don't want God just when I'm home with my family. I want God from nine to five when I'm in the office. You know, what, what would it mean to have God touch more of our lives? And I think as we do that, we grow in completeness, never attaining perfection, but we grow in the kind of completeness that God seeks for us. So when we think about doing more, I want to just ask a simple question. It's not a matter of, how much are you doing for God? But simply ask, how much of my life is God's? How much of my life is oriented toward what God would want? And if we can increase that, we grow closer to what it is that God would want for us. Amen.